Welcome to Regeneration Studio. I'm Katerina and this is another narrative journey where business and art intersect and transform individuals and communities. It's around 8am in the morning. Your phone's out. You've got Instagram open or Facebook. Posts start popping up. Some of them are from your favourite shops and restaurants. Some are ads. Which ones do you read? Which ones do you ignore? These days we're flooded by products, by services, by gorgeous photos of what others think we want, by slogans, by exclamation marks in capital letters, clapping hands, hearts, fire, lightning bolts, and other emojis that evoke excitement. Within this flood, it's often the one who tells a compelling story in a unique way, who grabs our attention and stays afloat. Storytelling is the go-to way to market ourselves, whether internally during business meetings or externally when dealing with clients. For example, through social media, radio or TV ads. This is not only applicable to businesses as such. It's invaluable and expected of anyone that has to sell an aspect of themselves. Creatives, content creators, politicians, and so on. But how do you tell a compelling story? And what is business storytelling exactly? Marlon August is the founder of Story Advantage, a marketing agency specialising in business storytelling. He's also an Olympian judo player who unexpectedly ended up going to the Olympic Games a second time at the age of 30. The intense lifestyle of training for the Olympics, travelling to complete the world tour, while at the same time running a business, eventually shaped the foundation of Story Advantage. But before we join Marlon and hear his fascinating journey of personal transformation a quick reminder that if you enjoy this podcast please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from and share it with someone who might find it useful you can also follow us on social media at regeneration.studio and check out our youtube channel which explores all aspects of living imaginatively and without fear last but not least we have an exclusive regeneration studio app which you can find in the Google Play Store. It puts all of our content, including our YouTube videos, in one place for easy access. Okay, here goes. Let's join the Olympian storyteller. Welcome to the show, Marlon. Thank you very much, Kat. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. In fact, it was your story that got me interested and made me get in touch with you. So... To give our listeners an idea of who you are, your story, imagine there is a film soon to be released called Story Advantage. Can you briefly introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer? <laughs> Thanks. So, you know, most companies, they invest a lot in marketing and they actually feel like it's a waste of money. They're throwing money down the drain. And my, my firm belief is that it's, it's actually because companies are confusing marketing, sales, advertising, and branding. Now, at Story Advantage, and I, and, I, and I founded this company so that we could help customers and help our people just understand the differences between all of them, create systems that actually make them work within their company, and tell comparing stories through a framework of storytelling just because because we all understand stories for centuries we've been telling stories and it's really just about inviting our customers to join us on this journey when we write content and when we create content and we when we help our customers we help them just create and formulate a great way of just telling their story by inviting their customer into one great thank you for that introduction scene one Couch potato transformation. Storytelling. So, as you pointed out, it's a recent buzzword in marketing and one that your marketing consultancy, Story Advantage, specializes in. Spurred on by our exposure to especially social media marketing and the whole story obsession, it seems that if businesses do not have a story to tell, they'll miss out no matter how good their product is. But your life didn't always revolve around marketing. 
Before setting up Story Advantage, describe your early ambitions and how your upbringing shaped your way of thinking. You know, I when I grew up with with the intention of becoming an Olympic champion in the sport of judo, at the age of about nine, I went into that sport and and it became my life. Somehow, it just captivated me. And at some points, I think around about twelve, my coach had shown me that the, the, something like the Olympic Games exists. And from that moment, I just held on to this dream and this idea of um, competing on the biggest stage and winning a medal. Yes. And, 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 and I mean, my, my, my mother was a firm person of like, yeah, you can, you can go and do whatever you want. So I just go ahead and, and do it. You know? <laughs> you know, she always encouraged me to be at my best and try and always try and never give up. So and and my family, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. They were they were good at selling. They were good at trying to run their own lives and building their own businesses. So it kind of was in my DNA to just you know like follow in their footsteps, do what they did, and then branch out on my own. Yes, that's amazing. So what did your parents do exactly? So so my my folks they did general commodity trading. Mm-hmm. So I know with most people that's really confusing, but it's it's like really just finding products and selling them. They would have clients out in the southern southern district of mm-hmm. of Africa and do trade amongst like near neighboring countries, Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Malawi, Angola, Mozambique. So we we sold products and services various. It would go from something like from iron ore all the way to refrigeration products, all the way to prestigious gifts. So yeah. it was more about what the customer was looking for that we would source worldwide, import it to export. So that was that's what my parents did. And then even after they split up, they continued in that line in their various in their own businesses. So. Oh, that's very interesting. I was destined yeah. that I was going to go down yeah. that road. So you grew up in South Africa or did you grow up somewhere else? Correct. Yes. Okay. No, I, I grew up in South Africa. All right. So as you pointed out, and this was the exact part that kind of got me interested and in get in touch with you, is a major aspect of your life is martial arts training in particular judo. And it was actually in mine as well. So there was a connection there. And of course, you yeah. you had this vision of the Olympic Games and the stage, and you just went for it and you became a semi-professional judo player and you participated in the Olympic Games as well, as well as the, um, I'm not exactly sure what it's called, the African like major games. Do you- yeah, yeah. There's different levels that mm-hmm. one can compete in. And then you either do it on a national level, you do it on a continental level, and then on an international level. So um, I did it all three, um, and at the at the continental level, which is what you're talking about now, is the African Championships. Okay, yes, that's it. Um, so you have to progress through all those stages to actually be able to compete at the Olympic Games and to qualify to compete mm-hmm. at the Olympic Games. Yes, thank you for that clarification. So how did this, perhaps more the cultural environment in which you grew up, impact on your journey as a sportsman, in particular doing judo or martial art? So, so I started judo by accident. I actually wanted, I was like mad about karate when I was, you know, like any young boy, loved Bruce Lee movies, loved Chuck Norris. You know, I loved, I loved everything to do with martial arts, right? So I wanted to start karate. And then at my school, the only thing that was available was judo. They offered my mom like that I could attend class for free. And I loved it. Since that day, I just never stopped. And from a cultural perspective, I think the biggest thing for me was just really, and it's, it's, it's kind of playing throughout my life now because I've spent a lot of time contemplating it when you, when you started asking me these questions. And I think from a cultural perspective, it's really just about the discipline. It's really mm-hmm. about having that one meditation that I've, that I've focused on every single day for the last, what, 25 years that I've been doing the sport. And um, are you still doing it? Well, not in the same capacity. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm, I'm I'm the chairman of my local club. Mm-hmm. So it's the discipline aspect that kind of got you hooked in to that. And 
Well, I'm just saying, like, I think the discipline and just, it's just more about the fact that I think I got to fly around a lot because judo was just one of those things that it just focused my mind. So mm-hmm. it was, it was weird. Once I stepped onto the mat and once I got started in, in, in a, in a fight, it just, everything else disappeared. Yeah. You know, it just became about what I'm doing right now and becoming the best possible person I could be to throw the other person to, to win. And the beautiful thing is it doesn't, it doesn't actually stop. I'm not sure. How much do you know about judo? Have you, have you, have you I, seen it? And have you, yeah. but, I've seen it, but, um, so I did kendo, which is completely different, of course, <laughs> but I yeah. did go and watch because I was interested in other martial arts forms. So I have seen matches and how it's scored and all of that. And Right. Well, it's interesting. So, so when we were qualifying for Beijing 2008, yeah. throughout that whole journey, one of, one of the places we'd always go to is Japan. Yeah. Uh, have you been to Japan? Uh, yes, I competed in the World Championships in Tokyo for Kendo. Awesome, right? Tokyo is an awesome place. Have you been in the Budokan? Kodokan in, in, in Tokyo, yes, a yeah, number yeah. of times. But okay. there's a place, Tokai University. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we used to train right next to the kendo dojo. Okay. I have immense respect for the kendo guys because yeah. they would literally be making a bucket of noise, yep. bashing each other every single day. I know, exactly. Well, back to the question. So just talking about mental endurance and discipline. So, of course, I know exactly what you were referring to when you said that it's like that moment you step into a fight, everything else disappears and you just have that focus on the one goal. And it's like there's no option of giving up. You just go for it until the end. Mm. So it's this kind of real focus and mental endurance and discipline that's necessary to especially compete on a, a national or international level in any sport that can also be likened to the endurance necessary to start and run your own business. First of all, if you just give a brief overview of your training for the Olympics and then describe your daily life at the time and how this impacts your life still today. So, okay, so so generally speaking, I'm not sure about most other sports, but I know judo, judo, we, we had to train three times a day. Mm-hmm. We'd run in the morning, in the around the mid-afternoon or the mid-morning, we would do um, gym. And then in the evening, we would do judo. Okay. So... That was always the discipline. But then after school, more like after when I was working, it was obviously I'd be working during the day. So I'd run and do gym in the morning. That would be pretty much like a two-hour training or two-and-a-half-hour training. And then in the evening, do judo. So that would be my normal daily habits. would would range between about like maybe four to six hours um, training a day. And um, it's obviously nice when you're full on professional and only only closer to the time that, you know, that it's Olympic Games that I took the time off away from my business, away from doing my, my normal days so that I could actually just purely focus on sports. And then then it's nice because you can rest during the day and, you know, you can have you can sleep because we, we would sleep in the afternoons and then you obviously more you're more rejuvenated for the training in the evening. Oh, yes. I think it's really tough yeah. when you have to do both at the same time. And unfortunately, I think in some countries, there just isn't the funding where people can just be like professional, professional, especially in martial arts um, sportsmen. So they kind yeah. of have to still carry on working and then funding themselves. Yeah. So how, how would you say this kind of routine and discipline impact your life today? Massively. What we would do, so so I, at a point I got married and I was still doing and I'm still doing this this mm-hmm. life, you know. Yeah. Um, and and because of my training is in Pretoria and I live in Johannesburg, which is about an hour's drive, plus minus yeah. an hour's drive away, it would be quite. I'd wake up really really early and get to bed quite late at mm-hmm. night. So what ends up happening now, where where actually it's it's about routine and building this routine that actually reinforces the type of life you want. And also then being able to just go through the hard times of just grinding it out, you know? And it's just like, okay, well, competition's coming up. I have no choice but to just keep on going. And it's just about doing that every single day. Mm -hmm. I I guess some of the things is also about just not making excuses because, like you said, we weren't necessarily funded 
a lot of the time we had to put up the money ourselves. So imagine when I travel, I travel for about three month splits. And mm-hmm. when I when I go away, that's money that's just going out the pocket. Very little coming in. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I'm back here is when I'm really working. I mean, that's also what spurred on Story Advantage because because I needed to be able to do work and earn money while I was away. Oh, I needed to support my businesses digitally. Mm-hmm. And that's where I started to learn about web development and, and, and implementing marketing tactics that I was doing on the ground and in person with people online and you know, supporting yeah. my businesses from, from wherever I was in the world. Yeah. yeah, it's a crazy life because I remember like at the time when I was competing and like traveling, I often I was studying at the time at the university and I often had to just ask for yeah. time off. And it was sometimes during really, really critical times and then I just remember you're in the plane and then you get to the airport you've got like two hours and you're sitting there with your laptop doing whatever you can and then you're going and carrying on and yes and then you have to compete so it's just this constant focus on different kind of things as well I have this memory of because what I would do especially in my 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 2016 that cycle yeah the whole the whole qualification process had changed so what you had to do was be on the world tour. And mm-hmm. for me to be on the world tour, I obviously needed to be, I needed to go away and, and book my ticket. My return ticket would only be like sort of three months uh, ahead. Now with the travel, obviously I'd need to book into the cheapest possible yeah. accommodations I could find. I and sometimes, and, and, and you know, I was literally backpacking, you know, I'm backpacking, yeah. I got my bag on my back and I'm literally by myself for those three, four months, you know, and, and it's hard because you have to go to training every single day. You have to find the right people to train with there because you're by yourself. And then physiotherapy is not really available. So I needed to really make friends with some good physiotherapists from other countries. And, and it was it was wild though it was wild. I know I know I I, I miss it a lot. But I mean, you can't be doing that forever. Some people yeah. can, but yeah. Scene two. The Olympian Storyteller. So the last time you participated in the Olympics was 2016. What was the hardest professional decision you had to make from becoming a professional judo player while doing the marketing for your family's business, as you pointed out, to setting up your own marketing consultancy? It was was really to burn the boats. Um, So... 2008, I qualify for Beijing and we go to the Olympic Games and we come back and I decide after that I'm going to quit and, you know, make money and live a normal life. Finally, finally have a normal Um, life. (laughs) Yeah, right. Come to 2012, my Mm. coach gives me a call and says, hey, Marlon, you know, like, what do you think? What about doing it one more time? And Mm. I, I needed it because I was like losing a lot of, who I was and I ended up doing it, you know, the long story short, I ended up doing it going back and that's much harder at the age of like 33 at the time or 32 right. as, as I was to, to get back into the sport mm-hmm. and, and, and compete. Yeah. Right. And considering that that's that whole couch potato to, to Olympian because literally I gained weight. You never <laughs> explained that. Is that the part where the couch potato transformation Yes, yes, because I literally yeah. so I went from, yeah. okay. from being really an Olympian to mm-hmm. just stopping all sports <laughs> activities whatsoever. I was, I stopped all sports yeah. activities. I went straight into work. I made good money. I lived a normal, a normal average life. Started gaining a whole, a whole lot of weight. Spent yeah. most of my life on the couch, and then my coach is like. What about trying this thing in 2012? At the end, of, we were actually watching the Olympic Games. I remember I was watching my new weight category at the time compete. Yeah. And he was talking about the man who, who was there. In fact, I was 30 because the, he was talking about the man that, was, um, that had won. And he asked me, how old am I that now? And I was yeah. like, I'm 30 years old. Yeah. And then he's like, well, what do you think about going another round? Because, you know, this yeah. guy, is, he's older than you and you can go ahead. And I'm just like, cool, let's do this. So that's why yeah. we went. That's why we, we made decisions, spoke to my wife. She agreed and spoke to my family. We had tight-knit group, so we do things together. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so, so, so that's, that's how that whole 
couch potato to Olympian okay. actually started and, and the path to, to go and qualify started right there. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, you had to just put on hold some of your work commitments, I suppose, because of the training commitments or. Not really. No, um, everything stayed the same. Okay. We just downscaled it as mm -hmm. as time went on. So yeah. I, I, I still kept all my work commitments. And then slowly over the year, as I mean, this was the beauty of having to really look at technology seriously in a different point of view, point of view of my business, because mm -hmm. everything prior to going to the Olympic Games or going on these trips was all around me being in the office, me communicating yeah. directly with people kind of sitting behind them. So it forced us to start creating processes, sales processes, just the normal processes of how you do what you do, mm -hmm. um, articulating that very clearly with, with the staff and then setting up parameters and setting up um, systems that allows them to give feedback that I can control it wherever I am in the world. Okay. And that's the beauty of, of these applications that we have today. Yes. Fascinating. So you obviously started Story Advantage. Now, did you start this already? by the time you had to go to the Olympics the, the last time, or was this afterwards? After. So After. literally on the back of 2016 Olympic Games, mm -hmm. I literally started it in September yeah. of that year. Okay. And it's, of course, a story-based marketing experience. And it's, as you perhaps mentioned already, like inspired by everything you experienced by having to do a lot of the communications and business processes digitally. Correct. Now... Why storytelling? Storytelling, like we said, is is it's it's you've also mentioned it before that it was a bit of a buzzword, right? Mm -hmm. So at the at the time when I started um, Story Advantage, it wasn't called Story Advantage; it was called yeah. Focal Shift. Okay. And Focal Shift really was about just shifting the focus, mm -hmm. getting these customers to shift their focus and really start focusing on 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 their customer. But I didn't really quite understand what that meant. And at that time, I was trying to create a digital agency. So, the, so we would do websites, we would do marketing, and we do automation and stuff and ads and things like that. So I wasn't super clear as to where I am now. And, and built that in where we, where we changed everything around and really focused on, on how can we actually just start to create that narrative for people. Because it came around, what, are, what is it that I enjoy doing? Mm -hmm. And what really inspires me, and when I discovered it's not building the websites, it's not, it's not uh, creating the automation. While I like to conceptually create it, I don't want to be the one building it. And once I once I started to get clear on those things, I was like, okay, out of all of these things, what would work? And for me, storytelling was beautiful because it gets to connect people in a different way. They start to see a different side of you. They get to, they get to experience you emotionally, which is where sales really happens. And yeah, so I, so I believe that I bring my own story in, not necessarily by telling my story, but, but by inviting customers into one. So the, okay. what that looks like is, is I believe that people confuse storytelling. They think storytelling is all about once upon a time when it's yeah. not really about that once upon a time starting thing and doing that, but really giving people this element of transformation in your, in your content, mm -hmm. give them, allow them to be who they want to be. And then also it's about the opposite, but bringing them into this world of, of a push and pull. So the, you got to talk about the problem. You got to talk about what is it that where, where are they struggling so much? that you can position yourself in between that. So this is the problem that you're experiencing. And like most companies, they waste a lot of money in their marketing. They actually yeah. don't know which marketing process actually work. But when you know what process work, when you know how to, to, to run that, then you can start to create ROI in your business. Mm -hmm. Yes. So is this, uh, for example, so say somebody's struggling with some kind of household task and it's really time consuming and it's problematic and If your product, say you you offer something that solves this, I'm just going to use some kind of ridiculous example, like somebody just doesn't want to worry too much about cooking a full meal and having to be in the kitchen while they cook. They just want to put it all there, like put the ingredients in and leave and carry on with their day. Uh -huh. So if you have a product uh -huh. that actually solves that problem and it's like this amazing thing that can do all kinds of cooking, 
you have to like illustrate the problem so that that connects the client. 100%. And then offer the solution so that they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I want that. Is that it? 100%. Okay. That's exactly it. Because so if, if you're trying to solve that problem of, you know, like, you know, Kat, imagine getting home on a day where you've just been on such, you, you've, you've had, the, the kids are bugging you. You've, you've, you've just come back from work. Now you've got to go ahead and start being in the kitchen and creating this awesome meal when you don't feel like it, your hair's all stringy. You, yeah. you just actually feel like you want to rather just be in the covers. Mm-hmm. And instead, you know, then you can start to bring in your solution, right? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm just saying like, you illustrate what that life is like for your customer. Your customer, your ideal customer, when you're clear on what their problem is and you illustrate it well for them, yeah. that is when you can identify and then you bring them this the solution and you bring them your product and your solution that can help them while adding in some tips that they could use. Mm-hmm. And that positions you as an expert. That positions you in their yeah. mind. Great. So... As you pointed out as well, and I mean, I've experienced this myself, marketing can be time consuming. And if you start contacting people to do the marketing for you, it can also be expensive. But knowing what marketing to use, that it can be tricky. Mm. They don't always hit the mark and they don't always know why they're not getting the clients they want. So how can a business owner simply diagnose what marketing problem they have? So great question. And and I think... Really, if you're thinking to yourself, oh, I need to get the word out, mm-hmm. you, then you definitely have a marketing problem. If you're worried, and most companies actually don't know what to say in their marketing. Yeah. I found that many business owners, they actually, they know their product. They know their product on a scale of like one to 10, they know 10, right? But then the, the audience knows it like from zero to, to three or four or five, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the, when, when they're talking about their business, they can only talk about it in the sense of a 10 or an 8. So yeah. they speak inside a language and they, don't, and they don't really know how to connect that to their audience. So yeah. if, you, if you're literally saying, like, I don't know how to say this, what should I do? Should I do an ad? Should I do, you know, where do I need to put this? If, how can I actually package this for my customers? Mm-hmm. Then, then you definitely have a marketing problem. Okay. Some of these things are sort of borderlining branding, borderlining advertising and marketing. Maybe I could just explain, like for me, the, the biggest thing about marketing that makes it completely different to everything else is marketing is really the words that you use that tells your customer about your product, what you do, and why they should be buying from you. Yes. That is marketing. You can, you can package your products and it's about positioning it in a space that they can, where they will see it and they can clearly accept or reject it. Mm-hmm. Now, the advertising is really about the model that you use, whether it's going to be different types of, if it's going to be a flyer or whatever else yeah. um, you're going to actually use or, or, or digital ad. And then if it's branding, it's really going to be about all the colors and how it's going to make people. But when you talk mm-hmm. about marketing, it's really about the words that you use. It's going to position you, position your offering and position your company. Okay, that was a very clear explanation. Thank you. And now using an example of a success story, one of your clients, um, how can a brand story and whether this is now just their own story of what they do or more specifically their product and how this product can help clients, how can a brand story help a business reach the right audience and increase sales? So we launched a product and it was a weird product because I didn't quite believe it was going to sell. We launched this product early last year, and this was just before um, we were going to go into lockdown. So, so timing is also critical yeah. in South Africa. So we, the, but it's like this product where you can, um, where, where you can buy your det- instead of buying your detergents, they come into your house and they refill your detergents. So for a subscription fee, they will give you all the detergents that you need for your washing and your cleaning in your house. And, and they will come into your house and supply it for you instead of you having to go out to the shops. Okay. Now, they, we had a very specific audience for that, and, and, and they could get great – and because oh, – well, the, the business owner, he, he's a really smart man. So he then contracts us to come in 
and we start to create, we build that narrative. And now the, the narrative itself is not just, about, it's not about the, the company. Yeah. It's actually about the customer. Uh-huh. It's about everything that they will get out of this product. And they sold out. They literally sold out of all their units within like a three month, three months of launching the product. And I mean, if you still compare it to going to the store and buying your own detergents, it's a lot more expensive. I didn't know that at the time because I'm not really one that does a lot of cleaning and stuff. But I was told like it's a lot more expensive. Mm-hmm. But but the thing is, we contacted the people. We we used the right narrative. We we used that within the sales pitch. We used it on the website. And when people went onto the website, they completely sold. So mm-hmm. it's really powerful when you when you got the right message going to the right people, and and at the right time. Yes. It's like an instant hit. If I may, I got one more story to share. Yeah, of course. So, so we did another thing in, in, in this was in a, in the property space mm-hmm. where we where during lockdown we 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 sold well we sold an investment. And what that allowed they 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 that allowed the company an opportunity to get in to get a new to crowdsource investors and basically connect with other people that had that had money to 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 invest with them and they managed to secure like what is a million dollar deal um within a three-week process with the three-week time frame with cold traffic from facebook so doing that i mean just think about it like if you've got nobody that's they don't see they've never seen you before in their lives and then you're going and you're being invited to come and listen to them speak they speak to you and they, 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 you obviously meet the team and you connect with them and you can see they're genuine people. You get involved in a project that, number one, you don't see. Number two, you just got this message on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're involved in this massive, massive deal like yeah. three weeks later. It's, it's crazy when you have the right message going to the right people, you know, and, and again, timing is important. Yes, and that also highlights that, Social media has actually changed completely. I mean, the way we use it, the way businesses can use it, it's just a whole new world. And on that note, online marketing is now obviously a greater focus for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, it might become the main marketing focus from now on with paper-based marketing sort of just becoming a relic of the past if you think of brochures and flyers. I mean, some people might still use it, but the whole thing about just being online, that's really important. Yeah. However, even online, and I think we're starting to touch on that with the social media and even what we're doing, podcasts, also videos, YouTube, all of that, the possibilities are endless. And I think for many people, they're not specialists. They don't actually know what to use, where to go with it. Mm. However, these are, in general, if you think about it, the more engaging ways for marketing. Now, firstly, just in general piece of advice on online marketing for any business or person who just needs to to sell themselves in a in a in a way if i can put it that way so a lot of people so you mentioned earlier that that it can if you get an an outsource if you outsource your marketing or your social media or whatever it becomes expensive and with many people they don't really understand it so then it just becomes this this mundane task internally so yeah. I would really suggest, and, and this, is the, this has been part of my mission, is to help companies firstly just get a grip of what is our message, what makes us us, right? Mm-hmm. And then what is the problem? And, and making everybody know it, everybody in the company know it. What is the problem we solve and how do we actually support our customers? If you can get really clear on that, Get make sure everybody because I mean with most businesses you ask the secretary versus you ask the CEO versus you ask the CFO versus you ask the salespeople yeah. you ask them all what they do they're all going to give you a different answer for that business yeah that's just going to tell you exactly how how not cohesive the team is so mm-hmm. when you have everybody on the same message and then you can find different ways to to, to just recreate that message if we're talking about social media posts um, in terms of um, how can we now deal with this problem from the perspective of it's Women's Month and, you know, on social media now, for example, and and we want to position our company in the space that, you know, we support women and we support women empowerment. Yeah. So then it becomes much easier 
for them to, even if they outsource it, for the company themselves to own their message. With many companies, I see that you, you can literally see on their social media when they have a new company that's doing their social media. Because right. <laughs> if the message is different, okay. you know, the style is different. Yeah. They need to own the message. They need to own the style. Yeah. You can outsource the rest. Yes. So I would strongly suggest, firstly, getting clear on your message. What is your message? What is the problem you solve? Who do you solve that problem for? And then how do you propose on solving it? And then you start to say, okay, how can we start to theme this? How can we create, mm-hmm. just to create a little bit of buzz around this? A lot of companies, if you're like brand new, I wouldn't probably even go social media at all. I'd get okay. a, I'd get a social media, I get a presence, and yeah. I'd get a website presence. But I wouldn't be focusing there. I would predominantly be focusing on getting that message and then start connecting directly with people like like you and I. Okay. Connect with you, DM you, and and yeah. and use that social profile to show that I have a presence. But I'm connecting with my message with who you are, and through that, building a business. Yes. For a large part, actually, of starting focus, I had no website. I didn't have a website. I had no social media. Yeah. But just from a previous conversation, I had websites are another thing that it's changed completely. It's not anymore like your main point of contact with people. Uh-huh. All it needs to be is just give your that message very clearly and then what people need to do to get the product. It's no longer the main focus. 100%. Scene three. The danger zone of inauthenticity. So stories in business, we've pointed out, they can be very powerful. This is because they combine the facts which speak to our minds with a narrative that speaks to our hearts. And because stories activate more zones of our brain, they obviously engage our attention more and for longer. Then, for example, just giving the simple facts, this is what we sell, there you go. For a business or creative, they can bring your brand, product or service alive and engage customers on a day-to-day basis. They can also encourage loyalty, which is obviously what you're looking for. Is storytelling just as powerful in industries that do not necessarily lend themselves to the creativity as such? And I'm just going to say a couple of examples that I've come across. So say in a construction company or a driving instructor, can they, I suppose they can, but you can explain. No, hundred percent. I de- In fact, in a lot of those spaces that I think will be the most powerful because Most of those construction industries, I was working with a scaffolding company. Mm-hmm. That type of business, they they all not using storytelling. They're all just doing the same old thing, what everybody else was doing. So it's the perfect space to just mm-hmm. segue, do it differently, start getting that brand loyalty, like you mentioned. Yeah, it's it's definitely. Uh, I relish those spaces because yeah, you're unt- you're untapped. That's when they start to see that you can create a story that is connecting in my world and this is about building, it's like, it just builds that brand loyalty. All right. And then now on the flip side of things. So for example, a, a business started using stories. However, they're just not authentic. They're, they're too far fabricated, too forced. In this case, Can they lose their power? And can you give an example of the consequence of inauthenticity? I would say the definite in um, where, where people are inauthentic is when they either over embellish statistics, mm-hmm. things that really, you know, like what's really possible start and just give a fake aura of where they are. That can be bad because the whole purpose of of social, the the whole thing about where we at right now is about being real. People understand everybody's stuck. (laughs) You know, everybody's stuck right now. There's, if you having like this amazing business, well, good for you, but it was weird. So, so, so someone contacts me on, on uh, LinkedIn and they say to me, well, I've got, this is their pitch. Like I've got like three businesses. They're all in different lines of, of Mm -hmm. digital. And I'm a good contact to have, you know, because I have all these three successful businesses. So I was like, 
So my response to him was like, wow, good for you, dude. Listen, so, so I hope you, all three of your businesses have done well during this time because I know there's a lot of people that, that have been yes. struggling. And, and, and his response after that became to something superhuman, but I mean, like, like yeah. really human, like, you know, instead of this, this persona that you want to show mm-hmm. out there. And it turns out that he actually was the glorified salesman for another oh, company right. um, that he actually just was that front yes. man. So, and it's funny me, between me and that company, we didn't do business. Mm-hmm. So, but, and, and, and I'd actually gone connected with a different company and they, and their whole vibe was like, you know, how can we support you? And we've supported companies like this, but what do you yeah. need? And it just changed everything because now me and that other company, we're doing yes. business. So, okay. Yes. I mean, just the reason I asked it is because, well, obviously being on Instagram, especially Instagram, well, maybe all of the, the social media platforms, some of places I just find like they post these pictures maybe on a daily basis, maybe on a weekly basis, but it's always like the best, the most amazing thing. And then you just start feeling, but like what, what is actually going to be good? Like it just loses that power. And that's what I meant by something becoming too yeah. forced, too unbelievable. Like a product can't always be the best, always amazing, always like better than the last. It just, it stops pulling me in and then I unfollow an account, for example. So, Well, this, this is also the problem with some corporate or even like middle-sized companies because they always want to have the best content yeah. out there when the best itself is just totally subjective. Yeah. Um, it just depends on what happens, you know, with a, with a product, with a, with a post that goes viral or people that actually share it on and yeah. move it on, that it gets reached without having to put any money behind it, you know, organically. And, and the thing is, most of those companies, they're like, no, you can't say that. No, you can't say that. No, you can't say that. And it's just like, okay, so at what point are we going to actually be honest yeah. and truthful about who we are and what we do and how we help, you know? And, and instead of the persona that you want to create out of this outdated perspective of what companies are supposed yeah, to look exactly. like. So... 2020 posed many challenges and well we're in 2021 and we're still kind of facing all of those challenges it's going to be with us for a long time and everything's going to change the way businesses operate the way they manage their employees the way we conduct sales and interact with clients it's all going to be different in the future and it's maybe going to change even more so what do you foresee for marketing in the future I think marketing is all becoming more personalized. It's really about being able to um, connect directly with people because people now are much more aware of ads. They're much more aware of, of, of what that people are following. I mean, just now with this whole change that iOS is doing, I don't know if you're aware of it. No, I'm not. So Apple, with, with their mobile devices, are really going to change the advertising landscape when it comes to Facebook and, and, and things like that, because they, because people will be able to opt out on being tracked. Yeah. And that, okay. that is going to, that's going to cause a lot of havoc, right? The, the reason why they also make it, why, why it works so well is because I can, I can talk directly to you, Kat, with your yeah. problems and your, and your interests. Yeah. And because that targeting is now going to be thrown out, it's going to cause a bit yeah. of havoc. Now, I'm not sure exactly what the spinoff will be, but today, if you're not creating the right sort of content that's going to speak to us as individuals, to our individual wants and needs, and you're not, and you're not, you're not going to connect with me personally, then you're going to probably lose that sale. You're going to probably lose my attention. So I think a big part of where we're going is about that. And I mean, AI plays into yeah. that and really being able to integrate these, these different technologies that are coming. But I think a more personalized approach a more streamlined experience that is both on and offline with these new times that we're yeah. in. I don't think the, the, obviously there's more attention online, but I think it's really about creating both. We're creating a cohesive environment for both one that we're, that it's safe enough for us to engage because we are human yeah. beings and we want to connect. And then 
the, the online experience make it really fun and exciting and engaging yeah. enough to make them want to connect okay. personally. Brilliant. And then given your own journey from coach potato to Olympian mm-hmm. to marketing consultant, what do you foresee for yourself? So I have I have a goal to to help build one of Africa's first or the first energy renewable cities. I mean that's a real big goal of mine. It's and amazing. I think yeah. thank you. Um yeah, so I I think that this is where life is going and I think at the moment where I'm at is in marketing and messaging and helping businesses strategize better and I don't think that's ever going to change. It's just going to evolve. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's that's pretty much what I see for well, myself. Well, I'm really, really happy that we got a chance to connect and that I got to hear more about your story. So thank you for joining me today, Marlon. Thank you very much, Kat. It's been awesome. Great. Where can people find out more about Story Advantage, anything else you have to offer? And also, um, do you deal with clients internationally or is it simply based in South Africa? Oh, thanks for asking that. So, so you can get me at my web address at um, storyadvantage.co. We are actually, come the end of this first quarter, we are launching in properly in the UK. Okay. I, I do actually have um, like one or two clients out in, in the United States and, and in the UK. So now we work internationally and yeah, the plan is really to, to, to carry on and, and to try and help as many businesses as possible worldwide. I mean, this is what this COVID yeah. pandemic has brought, yes. right? So it's, it's making this global village even smaller. <laughs> you can, you can, I mean, you can find me on Instagram, on LinkedIn. Um, just search for Marlon August um, on, on Instagram. It's Marlon BHA that you can add me there. And then, and actually on, on um, Twitter, it's the same. Facebook, it's the same Marlon BHA. You can go to my, my company website and my personal website, which is marlinaugust.com. Great stuff. And then before we go, my favorite questions, just quick fire questions. You can f- feel free to elaborate as much or as little as you like. What is the most recent film series you watched or podcast you listened to or book you read? The most recent, because we just come out of holidays, the most recent series i've watched was actually van helsing i don't know if you know uh, yes i've heard i've heard of it yes i haven't watched it yet yeah yeah yeah. yes totally mind-numbing stuff okay. I, I but the thing is i'm the type of guy that when i start a when i start a series whether i hate it or not i yeah, finish I'm it the same. <laughs> so so yeah okay. uh, <laughs> right what important truth do very few people agree with you on very few people. Well, I, I actually, I think that most people are good. Oh, okay. I think most people are right. good. They just misunderstood. I like that one. They can do horrible things, but you, 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 could, you could understand even where a psychopath comes from <laughs> if you had to look at it from their perspective. <laughs> I really like that one. Thank you. What is the biggest challenge you've overcome? I'd say really... I think recently I've been thinking a lot about this and it's really getting over myself, mm-hmm. um, getting over my perception of who I thought I was and who I think I am yeah. and, and getting over that regularly and just really just being more happy with who I am now. Yes. Another great insight and perspective on life. What's your favorite travel destination and why? Brescia, Brescia out in Italy. Um, okay, I don't know it. Yeah, it's 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 in the southern part of uh, of uh, it's like about a, a, an hour's train ride away from okay. Milan. It's a small city and really not really so beautiful. But oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> the only reason why I enjoy it is because I have awesome friends oh. there. I, I have a group of of people that I, I used to because when I when I would when I was competing. One of my coaches was is from that yeah. city. We would always base out of there. Okay. So wherever we're going to around the world, yeah. I'd start there at Brescia and then I'd I'd work my way and I always enjoyed being in that space and it was more because of the people. Yeah, I think sometimes you get the best connections, not necessarily because a place is amazing, but just because it's where you connect and really see a culture or really connect with the people there. Exactly. And then to wrap everything up, what advice would you give 
to someone wishing to start a career, either as a professional sportsman or in marketing? I would say regardless of which career you start, you know, very few people make it to the end. So if you're going to be like a professional sportsman and like the goal is the Olympic Games, which I've, which I've spoken to with a lot of people about over the years, you got to be prepared to just stick it out until you get your goal. And it's, I think it's easier with the Olympic Games because, you know, it's that everybody knows the Olympic Games. So it's very clear. Olympic Games, that's where I'm going. And there's a time space, there's a time space that I need to achieve this, this goal in. But I mean, my goal, I only achieved it in 2008 when it was my goal from before 20 to 2000. So failing over and over again is a really important process to getting to the Olympic Games. And then when it comes to like business and career, it's really kind of the same. But that's why I say regardless of what you do, just be prepared to stick it out and also be prepared to be wrong most of the time. Be prepared to learn, connect with other people that can really, really help you. Um, I think in sports, it's easier because you know that if you want to be the best, you have to compete with yes. the best. Um, you, have to, you have to train with the best. And, and it's exactly the same in a work context, in a, in, in a career context. I, I feel like in corporate companies, people get it all twisted. They think, oh, no, someone's trying to come for my yeah. job. When the idea is not for you to hold on to your job, but to just learn from the other people around you and build on who you are so that you can progress either within that space or another. Yeah, people got a bit confused, but I would definitely say just be prepared to just stick it out. Be very clear on what you want and be able to sort of measure whether you're going to get there. Wow, this was really, really great. Thank you so much, Marlon. Thank you. It's awesome. I really enjoyed this. Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed this narrative journey, please subscribe to our podcast. You can also leave us a rating and review on Apple as we love to hear your feedback. It helps more people find this podcast and helps us share these amazing stories of difficult roads and beautiful destinations in business and art. Stories that could make a small difference in someone else's life. Join me next time for more narrative journeys into creative business ideas.